Dave Brown is my friend. He used to be my colleague. Years ago, we worked together as sports writers. And as of this voting cycle, Dave Brown is a voting member of the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm a baseball card collector, and Dave is a lifelong student of the game who's dedicated his professional life to the sport. Baseball card collectors have a vested interest in who does and doesn't get into the hall, and now Dave gets to have a say in that decision. In this episode of The Shallow End, Dave and I talk through his Hall of Fame ballot, the extensive research he puts into completing it, and the seriousness with which he approached this responsibility. This is an episode by baseball nerds for baseball nerds. And because at its core, this is a sports card podcast, at the end, we play a little game. See, Dave collected cards when he was younger, but hasn't now for 25 or 30 years. So in this game, we give a non-collector a crash course in the modern state of the hobby. I think it was fun, and I hope you will too. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Dave Schwartz, Iowa Dave Sports Cards on Instagram, and this is The Shallow End. Dave Brown, welcome to the show. Dave Schwartz, thanks for having me on. It's been a long time since we talked. It's kind of funny to have this be how we uh, sort of get to know each other again, but uh, I'm, I'm glad we did it. It's great. It's been way too long. And for the listeners, when when Dave Brown, when Dave popped onto my screen here, I just got an instant smile. It's, it's great to see you. Um, and I think everyone's going to have a good time listening to us talk a little bit here tonight. I think so. Uh, was that a cue for me to talk more, Dave? Or uh... no, it's just my it's just my awkward attempt at the beginning is all that is. Uh, um, so we're going to talk a little bit today uh, about you, your your background, but mostly we're going to talk about you as a Hall of Fame voter, uh, and then at the end we're going to play a little game uh, tied back to sports cards because you did sports cards a little bit when you were younger, but you are not now a modern collector or investor or anything else like that. So I think it'd be fun to kind of get the perspective of somebody on cards who is not in this card space whatsoever. So as we get going, um, probably not everybody knows who you are. So talk a little bit about your background covering sports and covering baseball and how you got to where you are now. I've been a professional sports writer in some form or fashion since uh, the summer of 98. So if, you, if you're thinking of like Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire, going for Roger Maris's record. That was sort of my baptism. Uh, I worked for the Associated Press as a, a stringer, a quote quote runner in those days, and then built myself into getting writing jobs. And uh, Dave Schwartz was one of the people who took a liking to me at the Northwest Herald. And uh, I'd written a few things for the AP. And uh, my first full-time job was a, a sports writer at the Northwest Herald, which was sort of um, you know, I don't know if it was Dave's first, but we sort of had a similar career trajectory for a while. Um, but I've been a, a sports writer for um, the last three years. I worked for Bally Sports, which is a troubled, um, basically a video company that, you know, if you have a, if you like the Tigers or the Royals or, or a team like that, they're the 
the t- the uh, the company that run that runs the, uh, the 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 games, the TV games for them, the broadcasts. But they also had a a, um, a website, and I was a national baseball writer, so I got based out of Kansas City, which is where I've been since 2012. Um, so for the past three years, that's what I was doing. And I also have worked for Yahoo Sports and CBS and um, lots of other places in between. And right now I'm kind of uh, underemployed, but I do have a Hall of Fame vote if you've been in the Baseball Writers Association for 10 years. And I think I've actually been in for 11. I might have last year. I probably should have had a vote, too, but it, it, it didn't occur to me to uh, complain. Um, if you, ha- if you've been in the BBWA for, for 10 years, you get a, uh, a hall of fame vote. And it's, uh, it's really something that I, I kind of always wanted. I'm sort of a, a nerd like that. Um, you know, some people, uh, I would say that I take it seriously, uh, maybe more earnestly than seriously. I'm, I don't take too many things too seriously. I like to joke about stuff, but the baseball hall of fame is still something to me. That's, uh, an important marker for, uh, the game's history. And, you know, I, I, when I write, I like to keep things in, in historical context, and I, I like that part of it too. Uh, being a, a, a sports writer, that's what I like to do uh, for uh, in my in my voting too. And I just had the, the vote for the first time um, this year, so we're we're going to find out who the new guys are in about a week, uh, or I should say on the twenty third. I'm not sure when this is going to air, Dave, but um, so that's you know I, I I could keep going, but I'm. Uh, I think I'm just going to stop talking now and we'll go on to the next thing. Sure. So you're from, you're from Chicago and in 98 is when you first sort of dipped your toe in the water of covering baseball, covering professional yeah. baseball. And now 25 years later, you got your vote. This is sort of the peak of what baseball writers, baseball media want is to, is to be able to vote in the hall of fame. And, and right. you, said you think it's you seriously, you, you treasure this opportunity and, and, and you definitely did your research and we'll come to your, to your, players here in just a little bit but what was it like for you when you got the notification that yep you're going to be voting and then you got your ballot and just what was that whole process like it's uh it's it's a funny mix of feelings because it is a little bit of like a dream being realized and it's um you know a a status thing not for other people but for yourself you know if you you know you stuck with the baseball writing for long enough this is uh a reward in a way and maybe that's a uh dangerous way to put it, but it's, um, it, it, uh, you know, it makes me feel better about maybe some of the things that haven't necessarily gone the way I thought they would being a sports writer. It's, it's the journalism and media in general is a, is a hard business to stay employed in. And, uh, you know, even the people who run it, not just at, at the Bally, but other places, um, you know, they're, they're interested in making money and probably, uh, a little too interested in it. And, uh, journalism sometimes, uh, falls by the wayside in terms of, uh, you know, the amount of people that stay hired and, and all that stuff. And, and, you know, right now I'm, uh, I'm technically, you know, only semi-employed, you know, I do uh, odd jobs and I do odd editing jobs and odd jobs that don't have anything to do with sports writing to make ends meet. So, you know, and this is, you know, I found out I was, you know, voting for the hall of fame as all this is going on in my personal life. So it's like, well, I don't necessarily have a job, but I do have a Hall of Fame vote. So I thought that was kind of funny uh, in a, maybe not necessarily a ha-ha way. So uh, lots of uh, just, you know, all the feelings in the world as I, uh, you know, uh, in earnest uh, try and, and make a good ballot. So people 
fans, they take the Hall of Fame pretty seriously. Oh, they, boy. <laughs> they do. There are invest, borderline investigative reporters out there who try, who are trying to figure out what the vote will be, what the results will be before they're counted, before they're officially announced. And the results will come out a little bit less than a week after this airs. Um, so before we find out who you voted for on the ballot, have you heard feedback when when people found out that you were voting? What kind of input did they give you? What kind of feedback did they give you? What did they want to know about your approach to the ballot? Uh, you know, a lot of those people that you're talking about, the fans who are really into it, uh, they love transparency. They like that you're available to field questions and uh, given a chance to explain yourself. And I would say most of the comments that I got were along the lines of, uh, you know, I might not agree with all 10 people that you voted for, but I appreciate that you uh, put yourself in a position to give reasoning for it. And it seems like that you thought about it and put a lot of time and effort into it. And, uh, you know, we appreciate that. Um, you know, some of the people still maybe couldn't understand why I didn't vote for, say, Andrew Jones or why I voted for David Wright. I'm kind of stumping, you know, I'm uh, you know, kind of getting in the way of the reveal here, but, um, you know, on individual basis, but most of the people, I seem to communicate that I really care about the process and I care about the players and the Hall of Fame and they appreciate that. Great. Thanks. So you, you're allowed to vote for up to 10 people on the ballot. And you right. just mentioned that you voted. You voted for the full ten. So I have it in front of me. But do you have it? Do you know, or do you have it in front of you as well? The ten people who you voted for. Do you want to? Yeah, I, I have it. I might remember off the top of my head. I've done enough. You know, I still kind of look back at it from time to time. Yeah, I've got a list here. So, do you want to start anywhere in particular, or no? Just go. It uh, doesn't matter. Uh, just want you just share with us the ten people who you voted for. All right. Well, before I do the ten, there were a couple of things that I philosophies that I took into it. Um, as far as PEDs go, um, I'm not, I, I didn't uh, deduct or take away specifically for anybody doing PEDs. I think the the whole thing is kind of vague and, you know, I'm not of a, a sound enough opinion on, you know, how, you know, who did what, how much did they do? How much did it affect their numbers? Does it constitute cheating? You know, I've had lots of good conversations with ball players, and you'd think maybe most of them would be like, you know, I don't like this guy because they cheated. They took PEDs and I didn't, and that was unfair. And, uh, you know, maybe it's because they themselves also took them. But, uh, you know, I got as much feedback from ball players that was like, you know, that was kind of the nature of the game. Uh, everybody's trying to get an edge. You don't want to fall behind. You know, it's, it's, unfair for these guys to take them and for not other players to take them because they're going to be at a disadvantage. It's, it's the grayest area in the world. Um, I do appreciate though, people, especially players who are hurt and felt shortchanged by other players who did PEDs if, if they didn't do them. Uh, that is the, to me, the, the best argument against them. Uh, from a ethical and moral standpoint. So, uh, but all that said, you know, I, you know, I didn't vote for, you know, I voted for a rod, no matter what kind of a questionable person he is on some other levels and just kind of a, a scoff law. I didn't care. Um, he's still from, from the standpoint of he was a great baseball player. One of the best that's ever played. 
I think would be anyway if we didn't know what PEDs were. Uh, even if so, uh, I don't know, were a third or 40% or 50% of the people that he competed against also taking them. So what does that mean? So that's why I gave him a, a pass on steroids and uh, I voted for him. On the other hand, another player who... Um, actually, actually, one quick, if I could just cut you off real ahead. quick. Um, I just want to say, we, I, I did solicit some questions from some listeners. And yeah. um, I just want to read their their names real quick. Um, that way you and I can just have sort of a more free-flowing conversation. Sure, go ahead. Um, but some of these questions um, that I'll ask uh, are for me, um, but other ones include uh, a user named Ephus Pitch, who his name I think is Bill, um, Scotty B. Cards, uh, Scott Baldwin, and uh, uh, the rated rabbi, uh, David Spinrad, sent some as well, and they're mine. Um, you, you'd love his logo. You know, it's the rated rookie logo. Um, you remember okay, I think Oscars. I've seen, yeah, maybe I've seen that, yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you to to those who submitted questions. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll ask one question first. Um, and that one uh, comes from one of these from the listeners. And um, I think you probably answer this one. And then once you answer it, why don't we just run down the 10 first and then sort of okay. dissect them a little bit. Um, right. But the question is, this one is from Ephus Pitch. Um, how much does a person's character factor into your voting decision? You know, uh, it certainly does. Um I think there is a character clause on there that is probably from the original times, like the, the 1930s when the BBWA started to vote. And I get the feeling that it, it had to do with things more related to the game. Now it's been used for things beyond the game uh, and be parallel to it. Um, you know, I, I, you know, there, there are some character issues. I mean, that that's the, probably the hardest thing that I had to grapple with. There's character issues for the guys who uh, were said to do PEDs. There's character issues for uh, somebody for drunk driving on the list who's probably going to get in. There's character issues for several players who have been arrested uh, for uh, domestic violence or similar type of uh, crimes. And, um, you know, I drew my line, I think, at, uh, at domestic violence beyond uh, drugs or or even the drunk driving issue. Um, it's, you know, if you go out and you try and hurt another person to the point where you are arrested for it, um, I just don't feel like celebrating you. If, you know, if, uh, so if you, if somebody else wants to vote for you, if you are Andre Jones or even Manny Ramirez or Omar Vizquel, uh, someone else can do it. I, I'm not going to be the one to, to vote for them. Great. So, um, I will, uh, I'm going to read off the 10 names and then from there, why don't we kind of go name by name and I might read off some of the no notable ones you didn't vote for. Sure. Um, okay. And so here are the 10 that, uh, Dave voted for Bobby, Abre and these are in alphabetical order, uh, Bobby Abreu, Carl, Carlos Beltran, Adrian Beltre, who I think everyone understands is going to be received the most votes and we'll get in, uh, Todd Helton, Joe Maurer. Alex Rodriguez, Gary Sheffield, Chase Sutley, Billy Wagner, and David Wright. And it just cracks me up, by the way, seeing both Chase Sutley and David Wright uh, together uh, on the ballot. Given their it doesn't history. make you feel old, does it? No, everything else does. Uh, that does not. Uh, but just given uh, uh, the anger that David Wright had toward Chase Sutley uh, yeah. from a playoff, I, I love seeing them. And part of me thinks that Chase Sutley should not be allowed in until David Wright gets in. 
David has the moral high ground. I'm, I'm picturing, you know, you know, Obi-Wan screaming, I have the high ground, you know, over Chase Utley. Um, but okay, so those are your 10. Um, uh, I'm not going to read everyone who did not get voted one of your votes, but among maybe some of the somewhat notable ones, you mentioned uh, Andrew Jones um, already, uh, Manny Ramirez, uh, maybe Jimmy Rollins, and Omar Vizquel, um, among others. Um, so why don't we start with uh, uh, Bobby Abreu, not just because he's alphabetical, but because um, uh, I caught my attention as being a guy. I always thought of him as being, oh, yeah, he's good. And I would just sort of forget about him. Um, but one of the commenters, uh, Scott, uh, applauded you. So that that was a really, uh, a really thoughtful choice and, and really liked that you included him on your ballot. So um, I know we have some some bigger names and some bigger issues to get to. But how did Bobby Abreu earn a vote from you? Yeah, I would say um, my uh, relationship with fantasy baseball helped me there because I remember thinking of him uh, on the prospect list and this guy, oh, I can't wait till we draft Bobby Abreu. This is going back now a long way. Um, so I was, I've was i been familiar with him for a long time. You know, he's a guy who hit 200 and something home runs, I think, so not a lot. A bunch of stolen bases, maybe 400. Um, got on base a lot, hit a lot of doubles early in his career, had a lot of good defensive seasons. Later in his career, he kind of petered out. But he had some really good, I think he won a gold glove and maybe could have won one more. Um, just a, a really underrated player from start to finish. And you know, maybe even a, a player that when I looked at the, at the list for the first time, sort of like you thought, well, he had a nice career. I'm probably not going to vote for him. There are a couple other players. There's at least one other player. I'm not going to say who yet. Who's when I when I saw oh he's going in the Hall of Fame you know he's going to be on the ballot but I'm not going to vote for him probably if I had one and I ended up voting for him so what ha what changes is you you sort of take like the the old baseball encyclopedia you go to Baseball Reference and you uh, look at the numbers and you compare them to dozens and dozens of other players and you see well you know is this person if they let him in the Hall of Fame would he be among the worst would he be in the middle, obviously it's easier to tell if they're among the best. So you kind of look at those two things and that's Bobby Abreu to me. He's, there's a whole bunch of players in the hall of fame now who are much worse. And that's a funny way to put it than Bobby Abreu. He he's kind of like an, a typical hall of famer uh, for, you know, you add up all the stats and that's, it's basically how I came to the conclusion that I'm voting for him. When you're doing your research and, and looking at stats and whatnot, are you looking at counting stats? Are you, look, are you looking at advanced stats? How, how did you go about your research? Kind of all of the above. You know, it's hard to just look at, uh, you know, even percentages and, and so forth. But, um, you know, it's um, – I, I try and look at everything. And I, I guess one of my other sub-philosophies would be, okay, how could I make a case for this person to be in the Hall of Fame? That's really my goal, my my mental goal, and it's almost like you are both side, you're two sides, uh, two attorneys in the same trial, and the judge, and you're trying to make good faith arguments on both sides. Well, he's got this going for him, but he's also got this going against him. What's the verdict? So um, I try and look at as many stats as I can in, in the context of when the person played, uh, what his position is where he is in history. So there's lots of things that you can do. You know, it's, it's kind of dangerous to compare contemporary players of different positions to each other. That's tricky, like, uh, you know, catchers versus outfielders, say. So, I mean, just 
kind of uh, endless nerd exercises of just going over the stats and again just trying to figure out you know where you know where where does a guy belong in the context of history. Great. Okay, so the one we want to move toward now is not someone you did vote for, but someone that you didn't. Um, so you voted for A Rod, right? Um, one question that came from almost everyone is is yeah. people with PADs they were okay with it; they didn't really necessarily mind it. But if yes, A Rod, why no, Manny Ramirez? Well, uh, Manny's offense to me, although he was just incredibly sloppy with drug tests and. It's almost like he didn't care. I wonder if he did. Uh, and that's sometimes that's how he played. He was, he sort of gave off that vibe, you know, uh, that's not why I did it. I would mm-hmm. kind of forgotten about this, but around the same time that uh, Andrew Jones was arrested for domestic violence, Manny Ramirez was. And, uh, you know, I had, I, like I said, I didn't remember that. Um, Manny's obviously been in the news for so many other things that it just kind of sadly, you know, we don't, as a country pay enough attention to that in the first place. And it just kind of got lost. And I kind of had made up my mind. Well, you know, if you are someone who is credibly accused, I'm not going to vote for you. And I'm originally, I was going to vote for Manny. That's probably how uh, another player got my vote that I wasn't expecting to vote for. But I I just couldn't do it. So it wasn't, it wasn't the the PEDs. It was the off the field. um, You know, and I think, the indications are that Manny's turned his life around. He hasn't been accused again, but for this time I didn't vote for him. So um, that was why it wasn't because of PEDs. And perhaps down the line, if he's still on the ballot, you know, once maybe there are less other, maybe, maybe worthy people, maybe possible. um, But I don't know. Once you say, well, I'm not going to vote for anybody because of domestic violence. That's Mm -hmm. kind of final. So um, yeah. I will say that, like, like I kind of said, he's he seems to have done a better job with his life from a personal standpoint than other people who have been accused. Uh, so I don't know. You know, if you you like Kurt Schilling, who's not on the ballot anymore, uh, you know, I just could not see myself voting for him. You know, uh, you know, giving the thumbs up to a, a T-shirt or whatever that says that we should hang journalists. And that's a different crime than domestic violence. But I wouldn't vote for Schilling either. But if Kurt Schilling um, someday came out and said, yeah, I'm, you know, I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. I feel bad. Then I probably would change my mind about him. Sure. All right. So looking down the list, we probably don't need to talk about Adrian Beltre. He is, he is the almost the one sure thing on this ballot. All those hits, all those accolades. He's, he's pretty much in. Um, Great defensive one- player. What's that? And a great defensive player, just a complete player. And a great defensive player, and just really funny. <laughs> Not that that matters, um, but it was so funny watching other players mess with him. It was always one funny of my... as the straight man. Yeah, which is harder to do than cracking the jokes. He was the foil for sure. Yes. Um, the one that made me kind of pump my fist uh, was was Gary Sheffield. Um, loved watching him play. He yeah. reminded me of Reggie Jackson. He reminded me of a right-handed Reggie Jackson and that every time he swung the bat, you thought he was going to tear both labrums. It was so hard. Um, he played for a lot of teams. I love that he was Dwight Gooden's nephew. I thought that was neat. Um, but he he's not the slam dunk that, and I'm biased because I really like watching him play, but he's not the slam dunk that I think he should be. And I'm glad that you included him. And how come you included him? 
Gary Sheffield's lack of good play on defense is a reason to not vote for him. Um, I don't think it's, I mean, it is a reason. I don't know that it is enough of an argument. Um, sort of like the reverse Ozzie Smith, I guess. But Ozzie, I mean, Ozzie Smith at least worked his way into having some good seasons with the bat and showed improvement. I don't know. It's, I voted for, for Sheffield because he's one of the most dangerous right-handed hitters of all time. And that's good enough for me, despite his problems on defense. One of, you know, one of which could have been, you know, if he had been to like a DH sooner, it wouldn't have been such a big deal. You know, he wouldn't have lost. So, well, maybe he would have at, with war. I'm not exactly sure how war works when you're a DH. It seems like it, it hurts you in, in an Adam Dunn sort of way when you're not playing on defense, but um you know, he, he wouldn't have been so uh, harm, harmful to his teams if he didn't need to wear a glove some of the time. It just, uh, or maybe if they had hidden him better, I don't know. It's amazing, too, that the guy came up with as a shortstop. But um, he was just too good of a hitter. You know, we're talking one of the 30 or so best hitters of all time. So, um, and that's in context, you know. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's why I voted for him. And his defense wasn't so bad that, uh, you know, he killed a guy in the field or something. I don't know. So he didn't, there's no, the sins aren't that bad. So, I mean, that's, that's why he gets my vote. I don't think it's going to work out for him. I think he's going to need a, a, a veterans committee to get in someday though. Sure. Yeah. Every few years I adopt someone who just becomes a sentimental favorite for me, right? It's Tim Raines or Fred McGriff or, or someone. And, and certainly Sheffield is, has become that guy for me now. Um, Carlos Beltran, uh, just a fantastic player um, and played longer, I think, than a lot of us realized. Make the case for for Carlos Beltran. Carlos Beltran, uh, well, I don't know how many people know what Jaws is. I don't mean the shark. But there is a system uh, of uh, indexing uh, war and peak value and, you know, your best seasons that was basically developed by Jay Jaffe, who's just a fantastic writer for fan graphs and an independent guy who's done a lot of Hall of Fame stuff through the years and uh, ranks Beltran as the ninth best center fielder of all time. So, uh, you know, I don't know if that's quite, if that is a, a little misleading, but still, I mean, it can't mislead you that far. Ninth is pretty high. is pretty good. Um, just a great power speed combination, uh, probably a, an underrated player. You know, we've talked about um, the, uh, you know, a, a person's character and, you know, he was, Definitely part of maybe a big part of what the Astros were doing against the rules um, with the technology and the stealing of signs. And he was, you know, he and he's been punished for that and uh, should have been. And, uh, you know, it's a, I guess it's a mark against him. Uh, but it's, you know, something that I, I forgive, I guess, as uh, someone in a position to forgive for, for something like that. So he's an easy hall of famer for me. I mean, he's, he's definitely one of those guys, you know, above Abreu who's, uh, you know, maybe in the middle Beltran's closer to the top. Sure. Um, let's move on to the closer that you selected. So Billy Wagner, um, lefty. I, I, I saw him at Wrigley once hit one Oh two on the gun as a lefty. And I can't imagine what that would have been like to face. Um, pretty wicked. It seems like given some of the recent love that closers have received um, that this one felt like, 
I don't know. Were you ever on the fence about him, or was this sort of like, well, this is where closes are now, and he was he was one of yeah, the best he, for a long time? He, he might have been a guy when he first came on the ballot, or when it first, when we were you know looking at guys who were going to be on the ballot in a few years. Yeah, you know, Billy Wagner. I don't know. Even though it certainly at the time when uh, when you're watching in, in you know in real time and during his career, you know that this is one of the best guys of all time. Just you know the, the eye test. Uh, of course, you know, Jack Morris passed the eye test too, and it took him forever to get in the hall of fame, but, um, what, what, maybe the sixth or so best relief pitcher of all time, something like that. The, the mark against Wagner is the, the innings. He, he only pitched like 900 innings, which is really low, but, you know, like you said, it, not just in the hall of fame, but in baseball in general, we are, um, you know, allowing for the participation uh, in terms of importance and money and all that to go to these shorter hand, you know, shorter span relievers who only pitch an inning, you know, he didn't have, but maybe 36 or so um, saves that were longer than three outs. And like Mariano Rivero had over a hundred uh, Trevor Hoffman though, getting into the hall of fame, he was Trevor Hoffman was more like the one out closer. I mean, he, he had more multiple inning uh, outings than Wagner did, but that was kind of the transitional guy. And he's, you know, uh, Billy Wagner, I think, was a better pitcher than than Trevor Hoffman. Uh, you know, he just didn't pitch as as many innings. Uh, so to me, uh, you know, Wagner at his best is uh, the way we treat uh, closers these days, uh, you know, three out guys. You know, even though it doesn't compare well to Hoyt Wilhelm, you know, we can't live in the past forever as far as that stuff goes. Right. And while I, I fully support advanced analytics and and even counting stats all of that too i think there's also something to be said really for sort of that just a wow factor yeah and billy wagner had that you know the, right. the way that he was throwing he wasn't that big even um so. and just the amount of torque that he was putting on his his arm and his upper body and everything else he's somebody that you talk about that if you're if you're getting coffee with someone if you're having beers with someone and you're talking memorable closers he's one of the first one that comes up um just because of how dominant that he looked and i can remember the stuff that he did to even a hitter like when griffey was with the reds and yeah he by that point he was getting older and and, and breaking down griffey was yeah but griffey is was one of the if not the left-handed hitter of his generation and what billy wagner would do to him to the way he would tie him in knots uh really made me appreciate what he brought to the game yeah uh, you know, you mentioned a player like Sheffield having that wow factor. Billy Wagner was like that too. They, uh, you know, it, I didn't necessarily go wow with Bobby Abreu, so you had to look in a few different places. But you could see the wow with Sheffield and and Wagner for sure. So let's move now from the wow factor to the opposite side of that, which is Chase Utley. And <laughs> so you know, you, you talked before about positional, right? Positional position matters. Yeah. Um, so Chase Utley, second base, mostly with Philly, late with the Dodgers. Um, do you want to take Chase Utley and David Wright together, or is that unfair of me to group them together? Would you rather make the case for each of them one by one? You know, the, their cases are a little – well, I think we're, we're putting them together because of the, the sliding incident, right? Yes. Yeah, although that happened when he was when Utley was with the Dodgers, but it did happen against the Mets. Um and not to Wright, but to Wright's teammate. But Wright was just furious. Yeah. 
and I saw an interview with Utley who's like, you know, I could have, uh, it could have been worse, <laughs> which I don't know if he's helping his case or not, but he's like, I slowed down, I, I think. And uh, I, like right before I, I ran into him, I, he said, I let up a little bit. So it could have been worse. I don't know if anybody believes that or if that can be proven, but um, okay. So as uh, perhaps unnecessary, let's put it that way, as that slide was, uh, or at least the degree. That's a guy who, um, when I started the process, I didn't realize how good he was either uh, as a player. And he was, we were underrating him when he was playing, mostly on defense, I think, and still underrating him now. He never won a gold glove. He should have won at least one or two. Wait, Chase Elliott um, never won a gold glove? He never won a gold glove. He, I don't know how close he got either, but he he had, you know, he had some, like, as far as Fielding Bible and those, that's another website that tracks defense. Um, you know, he should have won one or two. And... And, and was was good uh, into late into his career, so he didn't fall off very much either. And he was he wasn't quite Jeff Kent at the plate, but he was he was pretty good. And he's uh, you know had a, a career that's about as good as um, the average Hall of Famer. That's another guy who you know if you look at all the second basemen of the Hall of Fame, uh, you know there's uh, 17 or something like that. He's like in the middle. He's like the seven, the eighth best. Or whatever, and he did get a, you know, he got a late start on his career. The Phillies were uh, messing with his contract um, because he was—I uh, don't know if it was a super two thing, if we even have that anymore, or or whatever. But he didn't like get regular play until he was twenty-six, and it, I remember at the time, well, it's because the Phillies are working his his contract, so he'd be a free agent later. So, um, and that probably hurt him for counting stats at least a couple times. But Utley is a just a, a great underrated player. Um, I can't, you know, he's probably going to be a guy next year that I complain about more than anybody is, as far as not getting votes. I think he's under 50% now. He's got a chance someday to get in, but it's going to be a while. Okay, so three more, and there's some other questions. Uh, David Wright, one of those great sort of what could have been guys. Yeah. It's really unfortunate that he suffered injuries. It's different from Kirby Puckett. Kirby had a longer prime and then, you know, they found something with his eyes and that, you know, helped force his retirement. David Wright, I believe it was his back. And yeah, he had he just, in the spinal column and played in 77 games after age 31. So it, was, it wasn't exactly like Puckett, but if you no. look, there's some similarities there. That's actually a good, I mean, it's a different position, but, um, and uh, Kirby, might, David Wright was an amazing hitter. You know, he was a little above average defensively, not, you know, it's not, he wasn't as good as uh, on defense as Utley or some of these other guys we're talking about, but a great hitter, maybe 30 or 35% above league average, as far as all the stuff that he did, uh, you know, hit for power, stole a lot of bases too, had a good batting average. Um, you know, I don't know, he hit a home run in the world series. If that gets you into it, he's captain America on the international uh, world baseball classic stuff. I mean, some of these things don't matter that much, but there's there's a there's a lot of wow factor with David Wright too, and um, you know I don't I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to vote for him next year for a couple reasons. I don't know that he's going to get over the five percent threshold. If you don't get five percent of the vote, they kick you off the ballot. And two, we're, there's like three or four guys coming in on the ballot next year, depending on who gets in this year. I might not be able to vote for him again. So um, you know, he was my last guy in. 
his career obviously is is short. I'm making a huge allowance for his injury. Uh, it's not the first time it's that we've done that. Uh, like you said, Puckett, uh, you know, I'm going to throw out the Sandy Koufax and people are going to roll their eyes, but there's something to that too. Um, a great player, a, a really short career, but he was great while he was out there. And I had an opportunity to vote for him this time. And, and I did. He was, and I'm glad that you did. And I mean, he'll never make it in, but he was one of those guys that if you were doing an auction fantasy baseball, like he was going for 40, 50. Yeah. Bucks. He was in his prime. And it was just, it was just devastating for Mets fans. Cause when he went South, he went South very quick. He um, did. He's probably, uh, I've, I've heard him call called the best uh, position player in Mets history, which is, you know, that Daryl Strawberry and Pete Alonzo and other pe- people like that. So um, uh, it, it's close. It's really close. A, a, a great hitter and a, and a solid defensive player. You know, I'd feel even stronger about it if he had better defensive numbers. They're, they're only okay in the mm-hmm. whole thing. So, All right. Um, so Todd Helton, it, we knew this was going to happen eventually with a Colorado player when you know, in 93, I think that's the year the Marlins and the Rockies began playing. It was in 93. Yeah. Immediately, the dialogue and the, and the narrative around Colorado was, you know, the thin air. Are the stats for real? What's going to happen? It's not quite baseball. Yeah, right. And what's going to happen when a player spends the bulk of their career in Colorado? You know, what if what if Dante Bichette had never left? What if Galarraga had spent his entire – Galarraga, if he had spent his whole career in Colorado, would yeah. could be in the Hall of Fame. Todd Helton is that test case now. His numbers were better in cores than they were anywhere else. Sure. Um, but, but they were pretty damn good. So how come you put him on your ballot? Well, and his numbers were um, on the road. Like the only thing that I remember off the top of my head is, excuse me, Todd Helton's you know OPS is about what Eddie Murray's OPS on the road was. Eddie Murray played in a, harder era to hit in. So maybe that's not a great, but th- there are a number of situations like that where Helton showed that he was good enough on the road and otherworldly at home to make up for the difference. You know, there are some other factors. I think Larry Walker eased us into this a little bit because so much of his career happened with course field, you know, but he, he also played in Montreal and St. Louis, you know, so it wasn't, it's not quite the same thing. This is the first more pure Rockies, you know, Coors environment kind of a thing. So I think Larry Walker uh, getting in helped people, uh, you know, as as uh, the dude in Lebowski would say, my thinking has been very uptight about this. People are really uptight about Coors Field. And, you know, they should be. But there's lots of stats that take all that into consideration anyway. War, if you're into that, uh, takes that into consideration. Um, And there's one other factor with course field, there's a, there's a definite difficult to quantify hangover from being a Rockies player. And it's when you go on the road, something happens and you are like the long and the short of it is you're a worse player on the road than you going to, let's say New York. If you're a Rockies player, then you would be coming from Minnesota or something like that, a more normal environment. It's uh, I don't know if it's like deep sea diving where you get the bends, but something happens to guys and they, they're they're worse on the road than they should be if you're a, if you're a Rocky and it's just it's really diff- I don't know how 
if that's ever going to be fixed. You know, I still can't believe Hideo Nomo threw a no hitter at Coors Field, and um, this was before the humidor. It's my fa- one of my favorite pitching performances of all time. How the hell did he do that? Um, so Helton, good enough uh, overall to you know he's like the fifteenth best first baseman or so of all time. There's several first basemen in the Hall of Fame who are worse than Todd Helton. He's not polluting anything, so get over that. I'm not talking to you, Dave. I'm talking to anybody who doesn't want Todd Helton. No, no offense taken. So uh, the last, there's some more general questions about the Hall that we want to get to. Um, we also don't want to take up your entire day and night uh, talking about this. And we also want to have some stuff we want to do about sports cards. Um, so the last one, uh, I don't think it's that controversial. It's uh, It's got a pretty good case. Uh, Joe Maurer. Uh, Joe Maurer did eventually move to uh, the field, to the DH spot a little bit as well, but quite the catcher. Um, some really remarkable advanced stats as well. Um, and, uh, you know, if he had played maybe just 10 years later, you know, when when the sort of the medical advancements were a little bit better, yeah. um, when when managing positional load and other things had also improved, they would have been his case would have been even stronger. But I think this to me, he just feels like a, a, a I don't want to use the word feels because that implies there's no research. Right. But I say that taking in his stats, taking in his performance, taking in everything else. Uh, Joe Maurer doesn't seem like it would be that hard of a choice to put him on the ballot. And yet it does seem like a pleasant surprise to me. I mm-hmm. He's doing better in, you know, coming into the voting season. I didn't think that he would get in this year. I thought people would make him wait or they wouldn't be that impressed, or they would look at the shortness of his career or the shortness of his career as a catcher and use it against him. And I think people have sort of considered all those things. I think uh, there's a little bit of David Wright in here in that, uh, you know, it's the the peak of Maurer's career is absolutely terrific as a catcher, one of the best ever. Uh, mm-hmm. No home runs, but I think I'm pretty sure only one catcher's hit more doubles uh, than Joe Maurer. I, uh, I'm going to go with that. I think that's true. That's, I mean, you know, that's, that's amazing. That's that, that, you know, you look at counting stats, one counting stat shouldn't, you know, go, Oh my God, that's make you think a guy's a hall of famer unless it's like home runs, I guess. But to me, that's just, that settles it that, you know, all the time that he missed and he still, uh, got some amazing statistics that stack up against other players who played his position. So, um, you know, his career wasn't as long as we like catching. He did not catch for as long as as many innings as we would prefer. But there's tons of, you know, he's, uh, again, he's not even halfway. He's more like uh, Beltran in terms of, uh, you know, he's in the top 25 percentile or whatever of Hall of Fame catchers. He's terrific. Great. Okay. So um, one, uh, uh, Scott, Scotty B. Cards had the question of, was there anybody who was sort of like the last person off or somebody who you thought you were going to vote for and then you decided not to? And then conversely, anybody you were not planning on it and then in your research, yeah, I'm going to put them on the ballot. Yeah, I suppose I I kind of have answered those a little bit. uh, And just to reiterate, Manny Ramirez was a player I didn't realize uh, the off the field stuff. Uh, I kind of got lost in the other off the field stuff. And uh, I was planning on voting for him and didn't. And, uh, you know, Wright uh, was a guy that I didn't expect to measure up and, and wouldn't have had other players who maybe had better careers or better Hall of Fame careers uh, kind of 
disqualified themselves to me. So, um, you know, there are, there are other players who had better year, careers than David Wright, but uh, he got in because I just, for one reason or another, wouldn't vote for those guys. Is there anyone other than Beltre? Um, like who would be, take Beltre off, who would be like, who would get your number one vote? Um, the second best player is probably, oh, it's, I mean, it's Alex Rodriguez. I mean, yeah. Alex Rodriguez might even be better than Beltre. I don't know. Beltre is just uh, great defensively. And uh, look at, you know, if you're a nerd who likes these things, uh, look at his numbers in his thirties. He, that's when he made his case. He, he, he wasn't, you know, he had some, he started out with a bang with the Dodgers and then kind of had some whatever years and uh, it wasn't looking particularly good, but he was, I mean, he was having good seasons up until the end until he turned 40. So just a great, uh, a great 30 year old dude. So thinking ahead to next year already, even though this one hasn't been announced yet, um, Ichiro makes the ballot next year. He seems, you know, the most obvious choice for next year. Yeah. Have you looked ahead to next year at all? Is there anybody else? Uh, that you yeah, I've started to. I've started to. Ichiro. CC uh, Sabathia. Yeah, Sabathia. Um, there was one more I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, I definitely – Oh, I mean, I can't imagine not voting for Ichiro. Somebody asked, is Ichiro going to be unanimous? And while I think he should be, I think somebody will take off for the fact that he started his career in Japan and won't vote for him for that reason. And people have other shady reasons and reasons that maybe – aren't intentionally shady, but make you scratch your head or shake it. So I think Ichiro probably will get in, but it won't be 100% of the vote. Uh, Sabathia, I don't know how – I think Sabathia is better than Pettit and Burley, not by a lot, but by a little bit. And there's also a bunch of other guys um, like from the 90s and 2000s, like uh, Brett Saberhagen comes to mind. There's like five or six David Cohn. There's five, six other guys – who are like better than uh, Pettit and Burley, who are like, it's up to the veterans committee. So, but Sabathia is a guy that we haven't been putting in a lot of pitchers. That's a guy who definitely deserves, it's a position that needs more players and he was better than Pettit and Burley. So I hope that he's on the way to getting in. Yeah. I'm always surprised to hear Burley in this conversation. You know, I, I always thought of Burley sort of in that Dave, Dave Steeb, you know, realm um, and I think, you know, Steve deserves m more love than he gets. And there, there's been a little bit of a groundswell lately, not for Hall voting, but just sort of an appreciation for what Steve did. And, you know, maybe that's where Sabathia falls. But I do think, too, with the different ways that pitchers are cared for now, um, the change in frequency with how much they pitch and whatever else that, you know, we're going to have to really change how we think about them. Yeah, I, think, yeah I, I kind of have similar feelings about Burley. You know, I – you know, he's pitched a no hitter and he had a perfect game and he had really good years of longevity, but he didn't, you know, he didn't win a Cy Young. I don't know serious. how close he came to winning a Cy Young. Yeah. He's so, got the World Series, right? So he's got the series. Yeah, he's got the World Series, but I mean, good for him. And, you know, they, they don't do it without him, I guess, but that's a kind of a team thing. I don't hold too many, you know, I don't hold, I wouldn't hold it against him if he didn't have it. But, um, I just think Burley and, and I think maybe Pettit is a little better than Burley, but I just think both of them are a little short. Uh, but you are right about how we need to reconsider 
the Hall of Fame for pitchers because we it's very difficult. Like getting Musina in was pulling teeth, and that guy's to me an easy Hall of Famer, but it it certainly wasn't easy. Yeah, and I was just looking now at the stats for for King Felix because he's up next year as well. And and the more I looked, you know, you know, Sabathia, Sabathia is borderline, then Felix is probably not even there. Well, Felix is another guy, sort of. I mean, he didn't have a huge injury at the end, and his, uh, you know, his his peak is disappointingly low too. Mm-hmm. But uh, Felix is a guy I'm going to look hard at to see, you know, in in kind of a David Wright sort of way. Uh, you know, if he deserves it, because he had a wow factor for a while anyway. And uh, the stats don't necessarily bear it out, but, uh, you know, we'll see. I'm going to give him a shot. Great. So is there anything else about the hall that we have missed that that you wanted to talk about um, that we haven't brought up yet? Or should we move on to sports cards? <laughs> we can move on to sports cards in a second. I think the one thing about the hall, I wish there were more. You know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, as for all the uh, questionable ballots that we see, you know, I think generally the BBWA has done a very good job through the years of getting people in. It's probably t- way too conservative about it. There's certainly, it's, you know, anybody who says uh, there are too many people of the Hall of Fame, you're not complaining about the job the BBWA has done because they've elected like 135 people out of the, you know, 340 that, you know, it's other people who are, if the Hall of Fame is polluted with people that don't belong, it's not the baseball writers. You know, I, I wish they would. Uh, I don't. I, statistically, I don't know if this is a good argument, but I, I find myself wishing that they let more writers vote. R- let them, uh, and they could do that by letting them in sooner. You know, you have to be in the in the union for ten. It's not a union, but the association for ten years to get a vote. Maybe make that five, and maybe cut the. Uh, the honor, lots of voters are honorary that, you know, they used to cover the game and they don't anymore. And you can do that for up to 10 years, maybe make that five years. And, you know, if you're not working anymore as a baseball writer, uh, but then again, you know, you can find fault in any subset of groups. If you look at uh, 400 votes from fans, and I don't mean yahoos, I just mean people who we consider thoughtful people. If you look at, you know, that subset, if you look at uh, uh, announcers like play-by-play guys who can't vote, you're, we're going to find curious decisions in all of them. So I don't think it's a matter of, you know, I wish they would do something about um, changing how the, the vote is done, but I don't think they should take it away from the sports writers because we're going to get the same kind of thing with any other group. Yeah, maybe, like you said, maybe just add more people to it. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly broadcasters, right? I mean, now that they have let um, MLB.com for a number of years now, uh, those people are in the union and those people vote for the Hall of Fame. And the, uh, the opinion against it was, well, they work for the team or the league, so don't do that. And that's kind of the, the deal with the uh, broadcasters. Like Vince Scully didn't have a Hall of Fame vote. You know, he probably should have. Uh, and I think it was, well, well you, could, you can't he, trust Vince Scully. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> But he didn't write, you know, quote unquote. Yeah. Uh, but that's not true either. You know, he didn't write like 800 word columns, but he definitely wrote in terms of, you know, speech, getting it out there and notes. And, you know, he didn't publish those, but it's a different kind of writing. And um, so like Jason Benetti should have a Hall of Fame vote just to bring up another guy. Those add those people to the pool and um, we'll, we'll get better 
results. Uh, the people, the, the the randos out there that one guy who only votes for Adrian Beltre and nobody else or votes for A-Rod and Manny to make a statement and nobody else or, you know, has other, you know, curious and spurious uh, reasoning. Those guys become less important the more people you let vote. I think that's my, I don't know if the, if the math is going to work on that, but that's the, the thesis I'm going with. Sure. You wouldn't necessarily have to change the percentages. Um, when you were younger, did you collect cards? I did. I remember uh, what would be my first 1980 tops would be the first time that I went, would go to, it would be white hen or usually white hen. Do you know what that is, Dave? I do. Do it's like, it's yeah. like a seven eleven or a yes, it's yeah. like a seven eleven regional seven eleven type thing. That would be the one I'd walk to White End or with my mom in the car or go to a gas station or whatever. And so nineteen eighty top. So like the Ricky Henderson rookie year. That's my you know I have a few of those, not in great condition, but the, you know that's the first year where I collected cards in earnest. Good. And then, so what was your background then? Like, how long did you collect? When did you give it up? But what were sort of your prime? Yeah, I still got most of the cards in the basement over here on a shelf, but um, probably should do attic for terms of, uh, you know, moisture. But um, so, I, you know, I got into it big time. Um, just going to, uh, just collecting the cards and trying to complete sets. I didn't think about it in terms of, dealer or selling to make money until uh i think griffey's rookie card i was and this is now i'm 17 when that comes out and uh the bill ripkin uh error card and i remember going to the gas station across the street and getting at least two you know uh can i say face um that's what it said on his his, on his bat at the bottom and that shouldn't have gotten out there bill and that was terrible but so you know we kind of jumped from getting the, the tops cards to uh, you know, as an eight year old to getting the, the NC 17 rated Bill Ripken card and, and Ken Griffey. And shortly after that, I did get into a little bit of uh, collecting as far as going to shows and getting autographs and getting cards and uh, you know, like being an associate dealer. Like I get, I got to know a, a guy who was doing a table at holiday Inn and I would help him every once in a while. So, uh, you know, a little bit. Okay, good. Um, but it is, it is safe to say that really for the last, who knows how many years, 25, 30 years, that has not really been a part of your life, the cards. Less, much less so. Every once in a while, go to uh, Target or whatever and get a pack and share them with my kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, you know, they're, they, they like soccer a little more than baseball anyway. So um, it's, it's not, it, it definitely not how it used to be, for sure. Okay. Well, let's finish up here by playing a little game. And so since the last time that you were part of this hobby, uh, things have changed a lot. The There was a big boom just before the start of COVID and into COVID when prices started to go up quite a bit and people had a lot more time on their hands. And if you listen to this, you, 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 you know the story, but just sort of explain to Dave that um, people who were in in the 80s and 90s came back to it. And mm-hmm. values went up and they've come back down here in the last year and a half, two years as well to some to some level. Um, but I'm going to give we're going to do, do six rounds of this. I'm going to give Dave two players. Um, four of them are baseball, one football, one basketball. And I'm going to name two guys like who know I'm making this up, but it could be like Wilt Chamberlain and John Morant. And I w- the question is going to be which one of them has the highest sale ever for one of their cards. Um, and we'll. 
and and it's not uh, a gotcha thing. They're not all the young person compared to the old person. It's kind of a mix yeah. of it. Um, so we're just going to see for someone who hasn't been around for a long time, um, what kind of makes sense to you and what doesn't, and just kind of want to get your reactions as well. Okay. Okay. Good. Thank you for being a good sport about this. <laughs> all right. So because you are uh, from Chicago, because you grew up as a White Sox fan, uh, we will start with the Sox. Um, and then the two players are Frank Thomas and Louis Robert. <laughs> um, Who do, so the, so is so if you pick one of their their best their highest selling ever card the single card which one do you which one do you think had a card that sold for the most of those two? Well, I'm gonna go. I I know you said it's not gonna be the younger player every time, but I'm gonna say it's Robert or Robert. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, uh, it is it is Frank. Oh, good. Um, what's it which is Frank. card? It is his. It comes with a bit of a little bit of a caveat. So it's his 1990 tops card, um, and there's a it's his rookie card. But there is are very rare copies of those cards in which there are error cards in which his name position were all taken off. So it was just blank. It was just him sort of kneeling and waiting for a ball or whatnot. And so there's only one copy. There's there's a grading company called PSA. And they grade on a scale of one to being the worst, 10 up to being the best. There's only one PSA 10 in existence. And Frank Thomas's PSA 10 tops error card sold for $170,400. Okay. Uh, Robert's best card or highest selling card was for $134,400. That's still a lot of money. Still a lot of money. Um, uh, what's interesting, uh, it was sold in February of 21, which is right during the boom. What's interesting though, so Frank has the highest one. Roberts is right below that. But if you look for their second highest cards, Roberts' next seven cards are all higher than Frank's second card. Is this because they refract light or whatever? Whatever they do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they refract, or because they're also serial numbered, which is part of it. So it's out of five, it's out of one, it's out of 10, it's out of 50. Who knows what it could be? And so there's that manufactured scarcity that people like to gobble up. And also because we are now in this prolific era of sports gambling, um, we call it prospecting in the hobby, but it's just gambling. It's people trying to get in on younger players early so that they can then flip them for profits. Right. Can I interject something? I think that is, I think that was going on for sure in, in those days when I was collecting 30 years ago, when Frank Thomas was the kid in, instead of Louis Robert. Um, but the, the whole manufactured scarcity thing, um, that started then too. And that kind of drives me crazy because one of the, the cool things about prospecting or whatever, or hoping that you had a, a, a great player of tomorrow was, you know, opening up a pack or even going to a show and being able to buy that card. Some of these prices, like out of the box, it's like uh, you're trying to get into a Taylor Swift concert. It's just, you're pricing out so many people. It's just, it's not as fun to me. It's, it's a, you know, some but people are gaming the the system, and it's like uh, uh, NFTs. It's like, well, if enough of us say this is valuable, then it is, and um, it's just uh, it turns me off a little bit. I, you know, it's just like how can a kid, how can a kid get a Louis Robert card other than by accident or you know his rich uncle? It's just not. If, if we're talking about the most valuable card, this is not. It's not fair. Right. And you're not alone in your thinking, right? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And this, 
Yeah. So let's just go ahead and move on to the next one. And I, pre I appreciate you, th these interjections. I think they're really helpful. Um, the next one, we're going to move to a football one. And the two players are uh, Joe Montana and Justin Herbert. <laughs> it was Justin Herbert. That's hilarious. I'll say it's Justin Herbert this time. He's got it the is, more valuable card. It is Justin Herbert. Um, and it's not close. And if you're listening, uh, you can't see this, but Dave just shook his head in disgust uh, at the results of this. So Joe Montana's, uh, his 1981 Tops rookie card in a PSA 10, there aren't many, uh, but it sold for $114,000. I definitely have one that's closer to $114. <laughs> Probably. Um, and then... Uh, Justin Herbert's top card went for $1.8 million. That might be speculating a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's I won't go into the details, but it was basically, it was a one of one. Uh, it was assigned. Oh, very exclusive. Uh, very exclusive. Um, and uh, and whoever bought that card uh, about a year and a half ago now um, is probably trying not to think about where the value is on that now. Right. Please, you know, he's like, oh, please hire a good coach and have some kind of bounce back. That's where he's at. He's he's not giving up, but he's like, I don't know about this one. Yeah, we're not sure. Okay, let's move back to baseball. Um, the two players are Willie Mays and Jason Dominguez. <laughs> I'll say Willie Mays' best card is more valuable. You are correct. Oh. Uh, Willie Mays' 1952 tops and a PSA 9. So that was the first year of tops that they came mm -hmm. out. His rookie card was 51. So 51 Bowman, uh, but 52 tops PS9 went for $478,000. I would, if I had that kind of money laying around, I might pay it. Uh, same, right? So this podcast is called the shallow end because it's about collecting on a budget, but people don't get me wrong. If I had the money, I would not be in the shallow end. I, right. I would be, you know, buying cards that I have no business owning and that would, you know. The deep end is a, a funnier name though for a blog and it gets <laughs> off some vibes that you don't want so yes okay uh so willie mays was four hundred and seventy eight thousand dollars. uh jason dominguez is okay might want to this might take a moment to read so you can you can take a nap it's the 2020 bowman chrome prospect autograph super fractor one of one went for four hundred seventy four thousand dollars. so it's four thousand dollars less than willie mays's best card well i mean i think everybody will agree that they're their favorite super fractor memory is when General Zod bought it at the end of Superman 2. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, another baseball one here. Uh, Stan Musial or Mike Trout? I just can't believe that <laughs> as good as Mike Trout is, anything that he does is that expensive. So I'm going to say Stan. Okay. It's Mike Trout. All right. Right. It is Mike Trout. Stan, so his Stan Musial's PSA 10 of his 1948 Bowman, which was his first card. He didn't have a rookie card because he started before World War II and they weren't, or during World War II and, and they weren't making right. mainstream cards at that point. Um, but there's only one. There's only one PSA 10 of his 48 Bowman and it went for $360,000. It's important to remember that there was a time, boys and girls, when Mike Trout didn't get hurt all the time. Right. And uh, uh, his uh, 2009 one of one Super Fractor Bowman Chrome Draft Prospects went for $3.84 million. Um, his market has, has gone down so much just over the last year because 
I think this was the year the goodwill finally went away. And no, I mean, he's obviously not getting hurt on purpose, right? It's sad to watch, but it's every year for the last five years now, I think, where well, he's just missing significant time. You, you put it in, we talk about the Hall of Fame. It's They're kind of similar parallel worlds. He's just running out of time to, you know, be the next Mickey Mantle or whatever. You know, he's not going to be able to accumulate the stats in the same way that we kind of hoped he would. You know, it's still going to be great, but whatever he comes up with. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets on a run here and uh, puts a few good years together, but that's kind of what's, what's happened. He just he's doesn't so have enough time to be great. And he's what, he's probably what, 30, 31 around there. 31, I think. Or even if he does get hurt every year, but still manages to eke out 20 to 25 homers and plays till age 40, he's going to be at, you know, 550 homers or whatever. So, I mean, he'll well, make it. But One thing that maybe he he'll have going for him if he gets traded from the angels. He go he goes somewhere and has a late season, late career pull host like experience where maybe he goes and wins a world series with somebody that will kick up the nostalgia. And, you know, if he can end on a good note and have one of those where he gets a ring, then uh, that guy might be able to make his $3.2 million deal, uh, you know, worth it. Sure. Absolutely. All right. Uh, we'll do one basketball, one baseball, and then we will, Thank you for your time. So here's the basketball one. The two players are Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Zion Williamson. Wow. Um, I'll say Kareem. It is Zion. Yeah. It's Zion. So Kareem is a PSA 10 of a 1986 FLIR sticker. So that famous 1986 basketball set, that was the, some people call the Jordan rookie. and Right. You know. Hakeem Olajuwon and Sam Bowie and others. Malone. Was it? Yeah. Stockton, I think. Um, yeah. Barkley. And. Um, well, that was the year the basketball cards started back up. Before that, it was like Star Company, I think. And those are just uh, too expensive to count or something. I don't know. Yeah. And they're not. I mean, they're, you had to buy them off like the Home Shopping Network anyway. And, right. Um, PSA just started grading those again about a year, year and a half ago after not because they always they could be. Some of them are reprinted and some could be potentially counterfeited and they couldn't they couldn't validate it. But now they no can. Kidding. Yeah. Um, so uh, Kareem's that, that FLIR sticker, that 86 FLIR sticker uh, went for two hundred and sixty six thousand four hundred dollars. Um, there aren't a lot of PSA 10 stickers. They're hard to get. People try to what do you call it? Uh, complete those sets. Oh, Zion. He had a he had a he had a national treasure card, which was made by Panini that went for five hundred ninety four thousand dollars and what's shocking is that that card was out of 99 so there's 98 other copies of that card oh um, my goodness right which not that went for that much you know um but uh, zion was really the face of that boom that i was talking about before he was he came out right at the right time for everyone just to sort of die that oh that's too bad it is um all right so here's the last one uh yeah. well your baseball guy will finish with baseball uh, Shohei Otani or Reggie Jackson? Boy, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Well, Reggie, hmm, some error card. I don't know. I don't know the history of the Reggie cards. So I'll say Shohei. It is Reggie. Oh. And I was, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by this. Uh, I was really surprised, actually, that Shohei's highest card was not that much. You know, air quotes, not that much. Yeah. Um, Three hundred twelve thousand dollars. Um. Hmm. You know, because he's international as well, right? I mean, he's bringing different markets. He's, you know, but he also 
got hurt the first time during the boom. And somebody was mentioning uh, something I was listening to the other day. So this is not mine. And I apologize for whoever I'm stealing this from. But if you look at the graphs of um, that era, when everybody else was spiking, he was going down. So when everybody else was spiking, he was going down because of that. And you mean price of cards spiking? Yes. I'm sorry. When everybody's price of cards were spiking, he was going down because he had the, the first Tommy John. Yeah. And then when everyone, when all the market was correcting, everybody was coming down, he was winning the MVP and almost winning another MVP and was going back up. So maybe that's why it's 312,000 or whatever. It's 112,000. Reggie Jackson's best card is just over a million. What's this backstory? The reason why is because it's a PSA 10 and there's only one PSA 10. There's only one perfect card of his. And so the sold for just over a million. So that's that artificial scarcity. That's scarcity. Scarcity. Yeah. Right. Good old fashioned scarcity. Right. Just because they, you know, they made crap back in 1969. They were trying to, the card quality was from the late sixties to the mid seventies. Wasn't great. Right. And yet one somehow managed to sneak through and survive and be graded by others as being perfect. And so you have that one and it cannot be replicated. Is that uh, a relatively new uh, price point on that card or was it, has it been that much for 25 years? Do you know? No, no, it's within, I believe it's within the last five years. I think it was 16 or 17 that that was sold and then publicly anyway. Um, And then if that's been sold privately since then, nobody really knows. Right. Good. Dave Brown, thank you. Is there anything else that you would like us to know about the Hall of Fame or you or sports cards? Or where can we find you? Well, I'm not going to say because I owe some people money. No, I'm kidding. Um, you can, where can you find me? I've, <clears throat> I'm hopeful that full-time sports writer employment will happen sometime this spring. But in the meantime, I've also started to podcast it. Locked on Twins. It's a, Locked on is kind of a, I think it's a national deal where with a bunch of different teams, maybe every team where uh, a couple of fans or local sports writers or whatever do a daily more or less podcast about what's going on. And mine is uh, with Brandon Warren and we talk about the Minnesota twins. And I also just started writing for the, for access twins, which is kind of the, uh, the, the text counterpoint to uh, the podcast. So, um, and I'm also at um, answer Dave Brown on Twitter. Uh, I don't call it X. I sound like old man there. I'm not going to call it that. But um, so the, the, those are the places where you can find me right now. That's great. And I listened to the Cardinals version of that network podcast as well. And I, and I like it. So good luck to you. And Dave, thank you so much. I've had a blast. I hope you've had fun as well. And thank you for sharing some insight on your hall voting. Thanks for having me on, Dave. I appreciate the uh, the hello. It's great to get back with you. Thank you to Dave Brown. I hope you enjoyed learning a little about the Hall of Fame voting process, and I hope all the voters take their voting as seriously as Dave does. That's it for this episode. Thank you for coming along for the ride. I'll see you next time, whenever that may be.